0: Word of God to Acts chapter 2. A couple more sermons in our series, basically of game changers, 2018. Things that if we engage in will make a huge impact in our lives, individually and corporately. This morning we'll be dealing with fellowship, the fellowship of the saints. We dealt with the word, being devoted to the word. We dealt with being devoted to prayer. And now we're talking about being devoted to the fellowship. And so I will be mentioning a number of scripture texts, but we're starting in Acts 2, verse 42. And this is right after the great sermon at Pentecost that Peter preached, and I believe it was 3,000 were saved by receiving Jesus on that day through uh, Peter's gospel proclamation. And then it goes on to tell us what these new believers did immediately. And that's where we pick it up. So let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Hear the word of God to you this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved thus ends the reading of god's holy and word may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning you may be seated when i first came to know jesus as my lord and savior in the 80s yeah it was the 80s I wonder why i like that decade so much but i literally passed from death to life right my, my whole Life was transformed. I saw things completely different. It was literally like waking up from a a long dream. Um, I was absolutely amazed that to have this deep, intimate fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I had never had that before, obviously. It was brand new, and it was amazing. So not only did my life, my my relationship with God obviously change, (laughs) to understatement, but also my relationship with others changed completely. My relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends, because I never, I, I no longer saw the world the same way my friends did. We had a completely different world and life view. We were, it was like literally we're on different planets. And it was the same thing with my family members. We didn't share the same values anymore, or at least a lot of them changed. We didn't see things the same way because I was uh, renewed, through the, the scriptures, through the word of God, to think the way that God thinks. But I remember uh, when I was first saved, I, I didn't go, right away go to church. It took two months before I, I finally went to a Bible-believing church. And um, so there's only, I only knew a few other, and at that time we said born-again Christians, to distinguish between those who had not been awakened yet. And I only knew a few, and I remember going to Christian skate night. Now, in case you know what that is, it was roller skating, and they had a night where they did just con- Christian contemporary music, because it must have been the slowest night of the week, and they figure if they promoted all the churches, they'd have a good night of of a turnout. So we would go to this Christian skate night. Now, for me, it was like, oh, you mean there are other people like me? Because it was so new to me. And so I remember going to Christian skate night, and I remember this kid skating up, and I remember going... Hey, and I knew him from before I was saved. I said, "You too!" I was so excited that he experienced the same thing that I experienced. And then he looked at me and he goes, "You too!" And it was it was so awesome. I was just so excited. And I remember after um, a couple months, my friend Bob, who wasn't very pushy about it, finally said, "Maybe you need to come try my church," because the church I had been growing up, I grew up in, and that I was going to, uh, didn't really preach the word and. Uh, Enough said. Wasn't Bible believing. So I remember going to his church. Little happened to be a PCA church. What else? But it was a little PCA church in Bricktown, and I remember how thrilled I was to belong to the fellowship of the saints, to be in a room where we had the same Heavenly Father, the same we served the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and literally we had the third person of the Holy Trinity living in each of us. And the cool thing about it is, what we were united in was two things. We were united in the truth of the gospel. So, this was our standard, this was our authority for faith and life. But we were also united in the love of Christ. We had God's love in our hearts. And it was so neat to me that it didn't matter what ethnicity. Because we were a pretty uh, uh, raggedy bunch as well. Or, you know we had everybody from different socioeconomic stratus, different ethnicities. None of that mattered. What mattered was, were you in Christ or were you not in Christ? And for me, it was interesting to learn, and it was a joy to learn that if, if someone was in Christ, mind-blower, they were my brother or they were my sister. Amen. Period. It wasn't, I couldn't choose my, Yeah, you know, that, that was the old joke, you could choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And so I had to look around and see, this is my family. This is my family. Well, in the early days of the, of the Christian church, when it was just in, in its infant stage, as it were, when they responded, those first Jews who got saved, 3,000 of them, when they responded in faith to Peter's gospel presentation at Pentecost, We just read in Acts what what they did. They devoted themselves right away. Okay, So they're new in Christ. They're they're part of the family of God. And Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to what? The fellowship. That's the body of Christ. The congregation of the saints. The communion of the saints. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. They devoted themselves to the prayers. That's public prayers together like we just did. And they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper, to the breaking of the bread. It's the definite article there. And then they did break bread in one another's homes, but that's part of the fellowship. So when you look at it, we see that as we kept reading beyond verse 42, we saw their shared life in Christ spilled out into doing what? It says they worshiped together, right? Praising God says they prayed together, they studied the word together, and they shared meals with one another in one another's homes. That's a, that's a normality. It's normal. Normale for the family of God to, to be in one another's homes. Showing hospitality as, as families do. right? I remember growing up as a kid, I had a lot of cousins that lived around and Sometimes we'd go to my house. Other times we celebrate at one aunt's house or another aunt's house or an uncle's house. It was normal. It was like going. In, it was like literally going an extension of your house. You felt that comfortable. You go slop on the, on the couch and flick on the Yankees game or whatever, and, and grab in the refrigerator and grab a coke. Water. Same because it's it's familia, right? Yeah. And that's what it is in the family you've got. It should not be weird. You know, when you come to my house, you know, what is it? Mi casa, tu casa. Right? And that's the early church. That's just the way it was. And here's the other interesting thing. They shared their material possessions. Nobody said, mine, mine, mine. Well, their brother and sister were, were destitute. It didn't happen. They shared. And time to time, hey, we don't have liquidation. We don't have the cash. I'll sell this so that my brother isn't suffering. The word for fellowship there is the Greek word, I just like saying it, koinonia. That cool word, koinonia. J.I. Packer, I know a lot of us in this room respect him very highly. Um, he says the, this the, he makes these comments. The Greek word for fellowship comes from a root meaning common or shared. That's what it means. So fellowship means common participation in something, either by giving what you have to the other person or receiving what he or she has. Give and take is the essence of fellowship, and give and take must be the way of fellowship in the common life of the body of Christ. Not to be willing to give is what? Selfish. But not being willing to receive is what? Pride. It's give and take in the body of Christ. That's a common sharing. It's a giving and taking, enjoying our common life in Christ. So we talked about devoting ourselves to the Word. We talked about devoting ourselves to prayer. So this morning we're going to talk about devoting ourselves to the fellowship of the saints. And I have three things I want to point out. Surprise, surprise. The first one is very simple. You need the fellowship of the saints. That's the first one. The second one is the fellowship of the saints needs you. And the last one is, because I can never preach a sermon like this without this last point. The fellowship of the saints is a work in progress. I was going to say it's all messed up, but I, this sounds better on the, ta- on, on the CD. It's a work in progress. Doesn't that sound nicer? I'm a work in progress. Anyway, so let's take a look at the first thing. You need the fellowship of the saints. I'm not going to spend a long time on it, um, but I'm going to spend a couple moments on this. I'll cut to the chase. It's our Father's will that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of his Son, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one of his main goals is to conform us to the likeness of his Son, Christ. Look it up later, Romans eight twenty nine. That's his purpose for us, is to be more like Jesus. He wants to make little Christs. Ephesians 4 tells us this. This will only happen in the community of the church. It will only happen in the fellowship of the saints. It will not happen in isolation. We need one another. I'll show you where. Ephesians 4 16 says this From him, meaning from Christ, who's the head, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Now listen, as each part does its work. How are we going to grow? How are we going to be built? Every part has to be functioning. What happens in your body, as we all know in this room, some of us have been struggling with this. When one part stops working, that's, that's a bad thing, isn't it? We need some help when our body, different parts of our body doesn't work. So like it or not, for better or for worse, we need each other, brothers and sisters. I've told this illustration before, but I don't care. I'm going to tell it again. You know, I remember my, my mom used to tell some of the same old stories, and my brother would be like, Ma! Whereas I, you know, now I honestly, what I wouldn't give to have my mother tell one more of those stories. But I digress. All right, so, this is a really neat story, and I think it makes the point so well. I'm not going to have to say too much more about this point. There was a member of a certain local church, and he had previously been attending services regularly, like thankfully many of you do. After a while, he stopped going. And after a few weeks, this pastor is better than me, after a few weeks, I'll give you a little more time. But after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. We know about that this winter. The pastor found the man at home alone, sitting by a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace, and He waited. Well, the pastor made himself comfortable, but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. And after some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember, and placed it on one side of the hearth all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. <laughs> you can imagine this guy's like, what in the world? As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold, and it was dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, I like this, thank you so much for your visit and especially for the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. How true. We know those, many of us who have walked with Christ for a while know this verse almost by heart. Hebrews chapter 10, I bet you know where I'm going. Beginning verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess." For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Of course he's referring to the day of Christ's second coming. He's coming. So more and more. Stoke that flame. Encourage one another. That's to love and to good deeds. And that's what true fellowship of the saints is. It's spurring one another on to love deeper. To love better. To love more fervently. And on to good deeds. So our Father will be praised when they look at us and say, wow. You know, a lot of times we have fellowship Paul. You know what I'm talking about? And basically, we eat donuts and drink coffee. And we talk about everything else but the Word of God. So, we should name some of those church buildings. When it says fellow, we should call it something else. I don't know what else. I'll figure something out. Either that, or maybe have real fellowship in the fellowship hall. What do you think? No man is an island, as someone once wisely said. And we need one another. And that's why they devoted one another to the fellowship of the saints. But the second thing is that the fellowship of the saints needs you. Now, we often think of the fellowship of the saints in terms of what we may gain from devoting ourselves to it or what we might lose from neglecting it, as I mentioned in that illustration, right? But sometimes we forget The fact that when we withdraw from the fellowship, we are actually depriving the church, the local church, of of the unique gifts and talents that God has equipped us with. We're actually depriving the church. We have a role to play. We have a part in the body of Christ Christ the body that Jesus purchased with his own blood. So take for an example, there's so many verses on this, I just want to pick one so that we camp out a little bit. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11, the Apostle Peter says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I remember when I was speaking at junior camp, TriPres Camp. Was, uh, five different presbyteries. We'd get together and we would do a camp for little ones, third, fourth, fifth grade, I think it was. And I was just uh, beginning that ministry, To be involved in that ministry and they asked me to speak on the spur of the moment hey can you speak tonight they asked me in the morning I said sure and I remember um, it was a a pretty good night for me I actually was able to uh, to give a pretty good message you know it was a good day good night and I'll never forget this one teenager who was from the youth ministry of the church I served in she said and he's all ours he belongs to us and I remember that, that comment kind of took me aback. It was like kind of water in a sense to the face. Because as much as that was an encouraging comment, it also made me think, I was called to this church to minister the word, the sacraments, the counsel, in order to be a blessing, in order to be a servant, in order to, to be a help on their way, on their, in their walk with God. And it kind of took me aback that I belonged to them. So a good example of this is I always think of this old illustration of this, this young queen, a little girl who ended up becoming the queen of Holland. And uh, the story goes that she was a happy little girl, and she was too young to realize the gravity of the occasion. She was about to be crowned queen. There were thousands of people cheering her on, and she was, she was just unable to take it all in. So she said this to her mother. She said, Mama, do all these people belong to me? And her mother said, No. You belong to all these people. That's a big difference, isn't it? It's a big difference. Paul puts it this way in Romans twelve four. He says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. And then, hold on. And each member belongs to all the others. You didn't know that, did you? You belong to your brother and sister in Christ. You know, I think of in, in, in Corinthians, when he's dealing with uh, God's people fell into sexual immorality, some of them. And he said, you were bought with a price. know, he says, you do not belong to yourselves you were bought with a price honor god with your bodies and the point he was making there is you belong to christ right well here paul is saying not only do you belong to jesus but guess who else do you belong to one another the body of jesus god didn't save you by his grace he didn't bring you into his kingdom. He didn't equip you with the, the particular spiritual gifts he's given you, the natural talents for you to keep it to yourself or in order to, 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 uh, for your own glory and your own pride. Right? That's what the world does. If somebody's really gifted, you put them on a pedestal so everybody can say how great and awesome the person is. That's not why God gives gifts in the church. He gives it so that we will stoop low and serve in his name and be a blessing. And take the gifts he's given us for, the, for others and for his glory, as we heard earlier in 1 Peter 4, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And this is especially true when it comes to a particularly uh, a local um, expression of the church of Jesus, which is a local body, right? Each letter is written to what? A particular church. The church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus church in Rome, and so on. I don't often pull this one out, but I'm going to pull it out this morning. The Westminster Confession of Faith. And it says this on the article on the Communion of Saints. I think it puts it so well. These guys, were, they were exact, man. They want to make sure they said everything right. And I'll tell you, you got to give them credit. They really packed a lot in a few sentences. This is what they say about the communion of the saints. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man wow, that's heavy. In other words, we're obligated to share whatever gifts we have to help one another both spiritually and physically. Is what they're saying materially. All too often we focus more on what we can get out of the body rather than what we can give to the body. JFK. Remember those famous words? Ask not what your country could do for you, but what? What you can do for your country. And that's, that's the truth about the church as well. Don't ask what the church can do for you. I'm so tired of church bashing. But ask what you can do for the church. Yeah, we got problems. How about being a part of the answer? You need the fellowship, the fellowship needs you, and the last thing I want to point out is the fellowship of the saints is a work in progress. Amen. Amen to that. Can't tell you how many times I hear fellow Christians, and I've done it myself, bash the church or act surprised when they encountered sin and failure in the fellowship of the saints. like, <gasps> You know, they act as if they'd never heard the Lord's Prayer before. Ah, you wondered why I wanted you to pray it this morning. You know, forgive us our debts. What? As we forgive our debtors. But listen, you know what that means, right? This is a prayer, a daily prayer. That means it's built in there that we're going to have to ask for forgiveness. Because we're going to mess up. And we're going to have to forgive. Because others are going to mess up. And sometimes I wonder, like, were people like daydreaming out the window when we say the creed? What do we say in the creed? I believe in what? The forgiveness of sins. And we all say hallelujah. When it's our sins. (laughs) Just saying. Get a lot of amens there. It shouldn't be surprising that we often hurt one another. And it shouldn't be surprising that we get it wrong so often. Again and again and again. Because the church is made up of sinners like you and me who have been saved by the amazing grace of Jesus. See, I've really been thinking about this. The amazing thing. You want to know what's amazing? It's amazing how many times we do get it right. That's a stinking miracle. When you think about it, a bunch of, you know, I think of just me. One person sinning and having, having weaknesses and, and, and flaws And then you get a bunch of us together, how in the world do we get anything done? It's the miraculous grace of God at work in each and every one of us. Amen? I remember I took this test uh, to be ordained. You know, you have ordination exams. And I had taken a test in Tennessee to be licensed in that presbytery. And then I was at the Potomac Presbytery. I had tests from my seminary. And by the grace of God, I did pretty good. And then I got to the one at Potomac for my uh, ordination, and they gave me this history exam that was ridiculous, this church history. They had all these minor, when I say minor, I mean Puritans that I had never heard of. Like, how in the world would I have heard of these guys? And they wanted me to match their name up with the, their date of birth. Oh, no. like, like, I understood, okay, you got Calvin, you got Luther, you're like you're certain big people, Augustine, you're like, okay, I know how to match them up, then I got to these, and I mean, so I ended up getting like a 60, and for me, that was mortifying. And the one, the person who administered the test came up to me and he goes, how would you feel about how you did with the test? Yeah, first of all, I wanted to punch him. I'm just telling you the truth. But I said, well, I I guess I feel pretty bad. You know, I mean, like thinking to myself, why would you ask that question? And he goes, really? He goes, I think it's a modern miracle you got 60 when you think about this test. And then I did the whole. That, you know, so that's how I feel about the Church of Jesus. I think it's a modern miracle when things go right just made me think of that. Marshall Shelley puts it this way. He says, the church, indeed every Christian, is an odd combination of self-sacrificing saint and self-serving sinner. Ain't that the truth. And the church, unlike some other social organizations, doesn't have the luxury of choosing its members. This guy's preaching. The church is an assembly of all who profess themselves believers. Within that gathering is found a full range of saint-sinner combinations. I love that line. Sorry, I don't know. Just a full combination of saint-sinner. It's great. It's so true, isn't it? This is all to say, in case you're wondering where I'm going with all this, is that the fact that a local church isn't perfect is no excuse for forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's like saying, and some people do say this sinfully I should never consider marriage because there's not a perfect person. There would be no marriage if you can only marry perfect, perfect people. Think about it this way. This will sober you up a little bit, sober me up. When you join a local fellowship of believers, you not only bring the spiritual gifts and additional hands and feet to the church, but guess what else you're bringing? You're bringing struggles, weaknesses, imperfections that your brothers and sisters will have to bear up graciously under. Amen. Think about that. So, you know, here I am with all my messed upness. God's, God's <laughs> brought me God's brought me here to bless you. <laughs> I remember a sermon I preached a few years back on uh, loving those who are hard to love. How pompous is that? But anyway, uh, but I remember one of the points, I, I think one of the points that, that struck me in it, and I should have camped out on that more than anything else, is for someone, you're the hard person to love. So right? <laughs> we don't like to think that one. So how can we possibly live together in intimate fellowship as God's dearly loved children, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ? I, I think of a um, This passage from Colossians that we had the privilege of hearing from a few months back or so. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the grease that keeps the gears spinning smoothly in the church of Jesus. And what keeps love going strong is forgiveness. Praise God that his people are to extend these graces to you and praise God for the honor and the privilege of being counted among the very people of Christ, called to extend these graces to the rest of his children. The German philosopher Schopenhauer Compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines. Like we like to say that sometimes the church are like cats we talked about. Hard to, to hurdle them and get them in the same direction. Well he, he has an interesting thing. He said that the human race is a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter night. A cold winter's night. The colder it gets outside the more we huddle together for warmth but the closer we get to one another the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. And in the lonely night of earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. Remember, that's what he's saying the human race is. But that's where the gospel comes in for the church, isn't it? Because as we truly begin to become a fellowship more and more and get deeper into fellowship, we get to see one another's glaring weaknesses and sins, and we will hurt each other, right? Right? So, the key, the thing that we have in the Church of Jesus Christ is the gospel. So, we have the forgiveness of sins and we have that forgiveness from one another that the world sometimes just doesn't have. And that's what keeps us together. I'm going to close with this. Vesta Kelly once said this, and it's so true. Snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things. But just look at what they can do when they stick together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You tell us that we need the fellowship of the saints and the fellowship of the saints needs us. How thankful we are that you have brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of your son, Jesus, that we bear his name. How thankful we are to have brothers and sisters who are like-minded, although from many different walks of life, Lord, we are united in, in the gospel in the love of Jesus, in the truth that sets us free. Father, we pray for New City Fellowship that we would focus more on the fellowship part of our name. Father, for your glory, not for our own, for the furtherance of your kingdom, so that the world that we are so striving to reach would say, look at how they love one another. Their Jesus must truly be the Savior of the world.